0: My childish desires, you know, to have a huge, not a huge family, but a family. But it is a huge family. It's a huge family. It's a ridiculously huge family. I figured, well, I was doing great with six and I was on my way. I almost was getting my master's and I was, I was, I have such an extraordinary amount of energy, but I, I was taking advantage of my energy level thinking, well, what's one more? <laughs> Hey, My name is Shauna, and this is the American English Podcast. My goal here is to teach you the English spoken in the United States. Through common expressions, pronunciation tips, and interesting cultural snippets or stories, I hope to keep this fun, useful, and interesting. Let's do it. Hey, everyone. How's it going? That introduction was taken from Oprah in a video titled Octomom, the Everyday Caring for 14 Children. The video shows 24 hours in a day with the very famous Nadia Solomon, a woman who became famous in 2009 when she gave birth to the only living octuplets. That's right, she gave birth to eight babies. Today we're going to talk about her and the highly controversial issues that surround this story. Before we get to the fun fact of the day, though, I'd like to make some announcements. The first announcement I'd like to make is that on March 19th, this podcast will be one year old. As of last week, it was getting over 21,000 downloads per month, and that's without paid advertising. So I'd like to thank all of you for sharing this podcast with your friends and family. I can't tell you how grateful I am for that and also for everyone who's shared a review in your podcast player. It all helps this podcast reach a bigger audience. And of course, a bigger audience means more people learning English. The next announcement is that for the next three weeks, my family and I will be traveling within Brazil to spend some time with family. Although I'd like to post new podcast episodes during that time every single week, I've decided I will be posting every other week while on vacation. The reason for that is not just because I'm going to be out doing things, but I'd actually like to dedicate more time to developing additional bonus content and features for premium subscribers. So if you haven't signed up for premium content yet and would like to receive the transcripts for each episode, MP3s, quizzes, and shadowing exercises, as well as all new content that I post on there, you can do so by joining the classroom. Uh, For anyone who signs up now, you will be locked into the monthly price of $9.99 per month until August 2020. So get it while it's cheap. The other piece of news I'd like to share is that there's a bun in the oven. (laughs) In other words, I'm pregnant. As of today, I am 13 weeks and Lucas and I are over the moon about it. The past 13 weeks were okay, more or less, (laughs) minus the horrible instances of morning sickness that swept over me multiple times a day. I don't know who invented the term morning sickness because it's totally misleading. Waves of nausea can come at any point in the day, morning, noon, or night. Not to complain or anything, a lot of women feel nauseous or nauseated during the first trimester. It's just irritating. And the things that grossed me out most were beans, chicken, and broccoli. On the flip side, my craving for waffles and maple syrup stuck around for the duration of those 13 weeks. And I'm still craving waffles with maple syrup, which is not very healthy. But anyway, I'm sure later in this podcast, I will talk more in depth about what it's like to be pregnant in the United States for example, like what it's like to visit a midwife or an obstetrician. But for now, I'd like to just move on to the joke of the day. Uh, We'll do the expression and some pronunciation drills. We'll start off with the joke, though. And this one I chose simply because of the vocabulary. So when should you use contraception? Any ideas? On every conceivable occasion... (laughs) Don't take this as an opinion. Just take it as a joke with good vocabulary. So, contraception is what prevents a couple from getting pregnant in intercourse. Contraception can include the pill for women, IUDs, or even just condoms. The joke here, though, is on the word conceivable, which has two meanings in English. It can mean imaginable. So, On every conceivable occasion can mean on every imaginable occasion, every single occasion that you can imagine, or a conceivable occasion might be the occasion on which you conceive. To conceive means to get pregnant. It's the proper medical term for when fertilization of the egg and sperm occurs. So let's hear that joke one more time. When should you use contraception? on every conceivable occasion. Moving on to the expression, today we'll be discussing a bun in the oven. Let's go through the individual words within it first. A is an indefinite article. Bun. Bun has a few definitions. A man or a woman can have a bun, meaning they have their hair tied back, uh, usually on the back of their head, and it's formed into a ball right? So, that little ball of hair we call a bun. Uh, If men have buns, we call them man buns. Also, in the U.S., we almost exclusively use the term bun to refer to a type of bread that goes on a hamburger or a hot dog. In other English-speaking countries, they use bun as a roll, so just a ball of baked dough. But in the U.S., once again, it's for a hamburger or hot dog. In is a preposition. And it indicates that the object's position is in or within something else, right? I am in a room. Like, I am within the room, within the walls of the room. The is a definitive article. An oven is an enclosed space that can be heated up to high temperatures and often used to cook or warm foods. Once again, the pronunciation of that is oven not oven. (laughs) To have a bun in the oven is a non-offensive and very light way to say that someone is pregnant. The bun, of course, refers to the baby, and the oven alludes to a woman's womb or uterus. Just like a bun in the oven, a baby in the womb is kept warm and grows over time. We often use this expression with the verb to have for example, that woman has a bun in the oven. We might also say, there's a bun in the oven. In other words, there's a baby in the womb. According to LiteraryDevices.net, the first written record of the expression was in 1951 in a book called Cruel C, when a character mentions to a man that had previously had an intimate night with a woman, I bet you left a bun in the oven, both of you. The man accused of having intimate relations apparently walked away humiliated. And of course, that would be pretty awkward. There's a bun in the oven" is a non-offensive way and common way for couples to tell their parents that they're pregnant. In fact, I'd like to use our story as the first example. Just one month ago, Lucas and I played a funny trick on my parents to let them know that I have a bun in the oven. In other words, to let them know that I'm preggers or pregnant. We were at their house to celebrate Julia's first birthday, and for the occasion, I made Julia's first ever birthday cake. When I got to my parents' house, I placed the cake in the oven, and next to it, I put a big bun. After dinner, my dad offered to go get the cake from the oven, and when he opened the oven, he saw the giant bun in there. He blurted out, why is there bread in the oven? And then Lucas was like, oh, there's a bun in the oven? At that moment in time, my dad and my mom put two and two together and freaked out. I will go ahead and post the video of that on my Instagram. I caught it on video, which is pretty cool. And the Instagram account is at American English Podcast. Example number two, imagine that you and one of your girlfriends are on a road trip and that friend keeps getting car sick. The thing is, you never knew that this friend had any issues driving in cars before, and you think to yourself, hmm, could it be morning sickness? You might ask her, hey, is there a bun in the oven? Why do you keep throwing up so much? In other words, hey, are you pregnant? Why do you keep vomiting? Example number three. Last year, my cousin's boyfriend came home from being stationed in Afghanistan, and two months later, they were engaged. Since they hadn't been together for very long before he moved over there, my uncle's first reaction, uh, not in front of her, of course, was, wow, that was quick, wasn't it? She must have a bun in the oven. In other words, she must be pregnant, which is a typical uncle comment, right? Not even considering the fact that they might be in love. But anyway, happy to say that they are in love and there actually was a bun in the oven. In other words, she was pregnant and now they have a beautiful baby girl. Once again, to have a bun in the oven means that there is a baby in the womb or that someone is pregnant, Let's go ahead and go through some pronunciation exercises. We'll use the sentence, there's a bun in the oven. Repeat after me. There's, there's a, there's a bun. There's a bun in the oven. There's a bun in the oven. And let's go through the conjugation. I have a bun in the oven. You have a bun in the oven. She has a bun in the oven. He has a bun in the oven. Not so sure about this one. Um, Anyway, It has a bun in the oven. They have buns in the oven. We have buns in the oven. That's it for pronunciation. Let's go ahead and move on to the fun fact of the day. Today, it's going to be all about the woman with octuplets. Previously, she was known as the Octomom. Every now and then, a story comes up in the news that's attention-grabbing. One of these stories for me was about Nadia Solomon, formerly known as Octomom, who gave birth to octuplets, or eight babies, back in 2009. Having eight healthy babies that survived birth and infancy landed Nadia The mother, a spot in the Guinness Book of World Records. The fact that she had eight babies might make you think, wow, is that physically and emotionally possible? What about after they're born? How does someone take care of eight babies at once without going insane, let alone how much does that cost? Well, it's a great story, a very difficult one for her, and one that was highly controversial within the United States for many years. I'd like to reconstruct that story for you using information provided by the doctor, the Medical Board of California, various news sources, and Nadia herself. I'll also teach some interesting vocabulary, so take some notes if you're interested in this topic. In 1996, Nadia Solomon got married. She had always dreamed of having a family, and so in 1997, She began meeting with a doctor specialized in IVF treatment. IVF stands for in vitro fertilization, which is considered a type of assisted reproductive technology. In vitro means in glass in Latin, and in vitro fertilization is the process of fertilizing a sperm and an egg within a test tube or petri dish of course, outside of the human body. After fertilization, the embryo is allowed to grow in the artificial environment for two to six days before being implanted into either the uterus of the mother or of a surrogate mother. Nadia went through IVF treatments with a doctor named Michael Kamrava. Even after Nadia realized she wasn't in love with her husband and broke it off. So she continued to go through treatments when she was single. In 2001, she got pregnant for the first time and gave birth to a boy. One year later, she had another successful IVF treatment and a girl was born. In the following years, three more boys and one more girl were born, giving her a total of six kids. When not pregnant, Nadia regularly visited Dr. Kamrava for treatment. It's actually documented by the Medical Board of California. The doctor was later criticized for not having referred Nadia to a mental health specialist to see if she was okay. Instead, he continued to treat her. During their meetings, he either removed eggs to be frozen or implanted embryos into her uterus to see if she could get pregnant again. Each time, Kamrava used fresh eggs from fresh cycles, implanting six eggs at a time. Interestingly, there's no law in California that states how many embryos can be placed in a woman at once. However, according to the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, in patients under the age of 35, no more than two embryos should be transferred in the absence of extraordinary circumstances they actually recommend that healthy patients should receive only one. On May seventh, two 2008, Dr. Kamrava was visited by Nadia, who requested that he implant six frozen embryos uh, that she had in storage because she didn't want them to go to waste. In addition to the six, another six fresh embryos were put into her, making it a total of 12 implanted embryos. Later, Nadia reported that while under lots of narcotics and on a gurney, the doctor pushed her to consent to another six embryos, saying that she had lost the previous six. Who knows what truly happened in that office visit? What we do know is that 12 healthy embryos were in fact implanted a choice that was considered both risky and negligent by the Medical Board of California. Had Nadia known the risks of that choice to her and to the babies? Well, apparently no consent forms were signed. While Kamrava lost his medical license, inside of Nadia were eight babies conceived through in vitro. 31 weeks after implantation, the eight babies were born with the help of 46 medical professionals. Up until the birth, it was actually believed that there were only seven babies inside of her. The eighth actually came as a surprise. In a period of five minutes, they were removed via C-section. C-section you might know as cesarean. The babies weighed between one pound eight ounces and three pounds, four ounces. Despite being tiny, though, they were stable for the most part. Only two needed tubes for breathing assistance, which actually were removed shortly after they were introduced. The babies remained in the hospital, drank donated breast milk, fed from tubes, and grew as they were expected. That's what brings us to an additional hurdle for Nadia, Shortly after the octuplets' birth, an article appeared in the LA Times that enraged the public. It was titled, Taxpayers May Have to Pay Millions for Octuplets' Care. Just to give a little background, if you give birth in the United States and do not have health insurance, you may pay around $10,000 for the birth of the child and up to $30,000 for a C-section. When babies are born prematurely they're often delivered in what we call the NICU, which stands for Newborn Intensive Care Unit. Costs in the late 2000s for one day were $1,198 per patient, meaning that over a period of 16 days, the eight babies racked up a hospital bill of $153,344. At the time, the hospital reported that the babies would need to stay for another 7 to 12 weeks, which could add up to a maximum cost of $805,056. So how does someone pay for a medical bill that high? According to the LA Times article, Nadia's hospital bill had been sent to Medi-Cal, and it's an insurance provider to people who do not have sufficient income to pay for themselves. In addition to the birth and her stay in the hospital, her octuplets also qualified. So their high hospital bill was covered by Medi Cal. Then the article went further. They wanted to dig up some dirt on Nadia. They claimed she'd been receiving up to $2,900 per month in government assistance for food and other children's disabilities. They mentioned that she owed $50,000 in student loans and had collected another $169,353 in disability payments from the government for her own back problems. The article was a pretty low blow. Not only did it make her finances public to the world, a lot of negativity also surfaced in tabloids. People left and right commented on her choice to have more children when she couldn't financially support the first six. There's two sides to every story, though. Nadia hated the image of this Octomom, who was a sort of character created by the tabloids. It appeared that Octomom was sucking money from the government and that she was a bad mother, and she didn't feel she was a bad mother at all. Although she admitted to the fact that she was selfish and immature back in the past when she wanted another child, she did not hope for octuplets. She also was open to showing the reality of what her life was like being a single mom with 14 kids. In the video I mentioned in the beginning, she showed 24 hours in her life. Within the 24 hours, she didn't sleep for more than an hour. One child wound up with an ear infection and needed to be taken to the hospital by a friend. She spent most of her day making food. Even when the kids were young, they spent $1,000 per week on food. They went through 35 loaves of bread, 21 dozen eggs, and 20 gallons of milk. She received a lot of toxic energy, both from the public and in the environment she lived, and she received death threats. She tried to protect her kids, and she moved. She also didn't want to be accused of sucking taxpayers' money. So for a time, instead of accepting government money, she did porn— She stripped and boxed, like in a boxing rink. She even appeared in a low-budget film called Millennium. Those choices were also openly criticized, but she admitted that the judgment was warranted. She said in a video, quote, In my mind, it was an investment so that I could support my family. Although it's been a long time since the birth of the octuplets, they appear in the news every now and then. The latest article uh, that I read was from the New York Times titled, The Octomom Has Proved Us All Wrong. In it, she talks about how the kids have very strict schedules, how they are excelling in school and in sports. She's open about the past, the challenges she faced, the hatred she confronted, and is even writing a book that has yet to be released. That's it for today's episode. I hope you all found her story as interesting as I did. I hope by providing information from various sources and Nadia herself that it's shown the story from different angles. In any case, it should make for a good class discussion with all of the controversial aspects within it. Once again, be sure to visit the website to get access to premium content if you're interested. For this episode, there is a quiz, a shadowing exercise, and some conversation questions. Uh, Talk to you in two weeks from Brazil. Ciao! Thank you for listening to this episode of the American English Podcast. Remember, it's my goal here to not only help you improve your listening comprehension, but to show you how to speak like someone from the States. If you want to receive the full transcript for this episode, or you just want to support this podcast, make sure to sign up to premium content on AmericanEnglishPodcast.com. Thanks and hope to see you soon.